Acts 20, verses 17 to 35. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming of the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be, alert. <clears throat> Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. First Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory Lord, we come to you now asking, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and insight, Lord, to know, uh, Lord, what is important in your word. Your, your word is important in every part, and yet, uh, Lord, there are times and seasons in the life of a church where uh, we want, Lord, to be directed and instructed by you. So, Lord, what we know not, would you teach us? Uh, Lord, what we have not, would you give us? And what we are not, would you make us? And we ask this, Lord, in your precious holy name. Amen. Is my cordless not working? It is now. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Sorry for all that. 
Well, the Word of God gives a number of metaphors for the church that I think are helpful for us to think through as we begin our time this morning. Uh, the first one, of course, is that we are the body of Christ, and that body is made up of members. Some are eyes, some are ears, some are hands, some are feet. Each member does his or her part to serve uh, the benefit of the whole body. We're also the temple of the living God. And as part of that temple, um, it's made up of many stones. And to be a stone in God's temple means to belong to a worshiping community. Another metaphor is the fact that we are Christ's flock. And that flock is made up of sheep. And as such, we are dependent on Jesus, our shepherd, to lead us and to feed us and to protect us. We're also the household of God or God's family. And to be sons and daughters in God's family is to belong to a community bound together by a common fatherhood. So in each of these metaphors, we see the individual parts are united together as one. This is important for us to see. And in each case, these diverse but united parts are supported, led, and fed by God. Christ is the head of the body, his church. Christ is the cornerstone upon which the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the temple, is built. Christ is the shepherd who guides, feeds, and protects his flock. God is the father of his household. So each of these metaphors have as a key characteristic the idea of separate individuals joined together into a single entity, supported, guided, and led by Christ himself. Many parts, one leader. And so we're all stones, we're all body parts, we're all sheep, we're all siblings. John Piper, I think, says it well. He says, Christ is the head of the church, and spiritually all his disciples are on a level ground before him, each having direct access to him and responsibility to intercede for the good of all as a community of priests. Right? So in, in, in God's church, there is no one percenter. There are no middle class, so to speak. There are no outcasts. There are no elites. We're all on the same level as God's children. Using our gifts, our unique, varied gifts, together for the glory of God and for mutual benefits. And friends, it's important for us to see that because that isn't always the way people perceive the church, is it? And in addition to these gifts, God has also directed us in his word that each congregation have two offices, and those two offices are the office of elder and the office of deacon. And these two offices are not the same thing. I know you've probably been in different churches where different words are used to talk about the leadership structure and stuff, but the two words that Scripture uses are elder and deacon, and we're going to get to the, the elder and what that means in just a bit. So today we want to begin this new mini-series entitled, Partnering Together, How Team Gateway Achieves Unity Through Diversity. And it's our response to our desire to begin the process of bringing in and establishing formal deacons in the context of our church. 
We have elders, and we've had elders ever since we started the church, and obviously we have a congregation, but we have never formalized the office of deacon. Our goal, then, is to do that, and our desire, then, in doing that is to say, well, how do deacons fit? Well, to understand how the deacons fit, we have to understand the various parts, and it's good for us to be reminded of the whole so that we can see, then, how deacons properly fit into the context of the church. So in short, this is a series that seeks to unpack the beauty of what Christ calls his church and to emphasize those unique roles, functions, and responsibilities the scriptures lay out for us as individuals in the local church. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, you may remember we were looking at the subject of fellowship, and, and I, I, I landed on this, 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 this illustration about this, uh, this race that took place um, called Eco Challenge. And I just want to remind us of what took place in this Eco Challenge competition. It's, it's titled as the world's toughest race. And here's what the website claims. Simply put, Eco Challenge is the world's toughest race. It's an expedition against the clock in which international teams of adventure uh, athletes race nonstop 24 hours a day across hundreds of miles to remote backcountry terrain. Each team is comprised of four competitors and must include at least one member of each gender. All teams are supported by an assistant crew member who is responsible for resupplying the four athletes on their team at key points along the course. The teams must navigate through the backcountry using only a map and a compass. If a team loses a member along the way, whether due to injury, exhaustion, or disagreement, they will be disqualified. Only teams that can work together under extreme stress and fatigue, showing a high level of expedition, problem-solving skills, will have any chance of success. Friends, that sounds like the church. And the truth is, if one of them fails, they all fail. And the goal in this race is to get everyone across the finish line. So we, we want to see that even though there are offices in the church, the goal is not somehow to, you know, talk about your wonderful office. The goal is to say this is a responsibility, and with that responsibility, we're trying to get everyone across that finish line that the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9. We're all running the right, and we're all seeking to run across that finish line. And so, it's not an easy race. The goal is for Team Gateway to get everyone across that finish line using their gifts and their functions and their offices and their responsibilities. And of course, as we run that race, there are going to be many struggles, right? This is what happens to people. This is what happens in the context of the church. But it's the responsibility of every team member to use their gifts in order to help others get across that finish line. We all have a part to play there. And that's why over the next three weeks, we want to ask the question, how does Team Gateway seek to get everyone over the line? How does Team Gateway achieve unity through diversity? And the answer we'll find is this, by following the biblical pattern of partnering together. But what does that mean? What does partnering together look like? How does the church organize itself to move its members across the line to finish the race? What form of church organization or government is used? And so just, just briefly, we want to talk about three typical forms of church government that you may have experienced, right? 
and, and we're not here to badmouth one or the other, but just to say these are out there. First of all, is what I'm calling the Lone Ranger model, the Lone Ranger model, which basically is a pastor by himself with deacons, and he could have three, four, five, he could have 15, just depending on the context. And I've been a part of a church where this model has been present, and it has some problems, and it has some, some benefits. Now, the, the, the thing that I found was typically in this kind of a model, the pastor is considered the authority. He has, in a sense, a bat phone to God, right? He is the one who makes the final decisions. He's the one who, who makes that ultimate call. And the, the deacons are there to, so to speak, support what he desires to do. And in that context where I was at, that was very much true. Um, I was an associate pastor in that context, but I had really no authority. I was just there to assist the pastor to ultimately make the decisions. There were deacons in that context that never met unless there was some official capacity to meet because some property was being purchased or something that had to be signed. Basically, typically what they did is affirm what the pastor wanted. Okay? Now, that's not always the case. That's not always a, a bad scenario. There are times when, in this model, uh, the pastors are, are, are really solid, and they're not trying to lord things over. They're not trying to be a benevolent dictator or, or somehow use some heavy-handedness at all. But in my experience and observation and talking with other people, often those who would be deacons in that kind of a model are really, there's really not much of a of a place or a role or a function for them. They're just kind of like good people. They're faithful brothers who come along and serve along with the pastor if he needs them, all right? Secondly, there's the corporate model, the corporate model. This is when the, the leadership of the church is much like a business. And of course, it's understandable in our American culture because how do you grow a church? Well, you grow a church just like you grow a business. And if you want your church to grow, you get yourself a a board made up of good businessmen, because businessmen, they know how to grow things. They know how to sell things, right? And that church board usually has a chairman of the board, which would be the equivalent to a CEO in the business world, and he really has the final authority. He is the one with the power. In fact, I've been in two churches that have had this kind of model, maybe not in an extreme way, and the pastor served on the board, but the pastor did not vote on anything because they thought about it as being a conflict of interest. Now, the problem with this model, friends, is that you have people that are leading the church that don't know what pastoral ministry is about. They have no comprehension of it. They know how to run a good business, but the church is not a business. But this is a very common form of church government. And we need to at least recognize it's out there. And there's various you know, variations of the two that I've just shared with you. Some are really bad examples, and some are actually not bad. Uh, they're, 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 you know, the churches may really be healthy in one sense and doing a lot for the Lord, and they have these different structures. So there's a, there's a variety of ways these things can be applied. But I would uh, press into you that our goal is not to use simply a model that is out there. Our goal is to mine the Word of God to determine what the Word of God says and seek then with with careful wisdom to apply what God's Word says carefully, and that that would be the, the model that we function with. And so I would like to present to you the third model, which is what we use here. It's the elder model, where those who are leaders in the church are elders. And you might say pastors, 
And usually one or two of them are, might, might want to say, more trained seminary pastors that are the pastor teachers in the context of that church. But these, these men are elders. They're not just people that, that the church voted on one day and said, you know, we like this guy, we like that guy, he's a nice guy, these guys are going to be in leadership. No, these are guys who have, who have demonstrated their character and their ability to handle the word and to shepherd the flock in the context of the church over time. And that that congregation knows them and sees them and respects them. So they all work together, okay? And then there are deacons, but the deacons are there to assist the, um, the elders to accomplish what needs to take place in caring for the congregation. So you have these two offices, deacon and elder. And we want to today flesh out this idea of elder. But simply put, elders lead, deacons facilitate, and the congregation serves. All right? We just want to put it in kind of a small nutshell kind of way. Elders lead, deacons facilitate, the congregation serve. Now, my proposition then for this morning is this. Qualified elders are called by God to lead his church. Qualified elders are called by God to lead his church. Now, don't make the mistake of reading that statement and thinking institutionally rather than personally. Eldership as established in the word of God is not some hierarchical, hierarchical power trip. It's a weighty responsibility on the shoulders of the one serving in that office, the elder. It's a wonderful gift from God for the health and the well-being of the church. Ephesians chapter 4, just think through this passage with me. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. In other words, we have been blessed by gifts from Christ. And verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, the pastor teachers, these would be the elders, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge in the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I want, I want to make sure we understand this, not in a wrong way, but in a right way. Elders are a gift to the church. They are God's gift to the church. Now, I don't want our elders walking around saying, I'm God's gift to the church. That's not, that's not the tone that I have here. But the role and function of eldership is a gift to the church. In what way do we find here? To equip them, to grow them, to mature them. And friends, there is a warning here for any individual who would be tempted to embrace the sacred office of elder lightly or with ulterior motive. There's a warning here also for the congregation to not minimize it, the importance of this role and function of eldership by choosing to call it something else and bringing the ideas of the world into the church. We're all called to allow the word of God to speak plainly and then to do our best to flesh it out with careful wisdom. To that end, again, I would like for us to consider that qualified elders are called by God to lead his church. And we want to understand this statement by unpacking God's instructions in his word under four headings. Now, I, I don't know about you, but different people pack things differently. Some of you pack, like, here are all my t-shirts, boom, 
here are all my pants, boom, here are all my socks there, right? Here's all my underwear that goes there, right? That's how many people pack. Other people pack like, this is Monday's outfit. This is Tuesday's outfit. Actually, I need three outfits for Tuesday, right? Because we're going out, we're going swimming. We do, so they do that way, right? Then there are those of you that just like just throw it all in there, and then when you get to your destination, you're pulling it out and hoping you have something, right? We all pack differently. Now, I, I say that to simply say, if we're going to unpack God's Word, we must recognize that God's Word is not just stuff thrown together in random ways. God has laid out His Word in careful ways. Sometimes there are things that are listed. Sometimes there are things that are part of another package, an outfit, so to speak. And we want to go to those places and bring God's truth to give us understanding about what's being said. Because we don't just have one section of Scripture that gives us instruction here. So we want to unpack things. When I was uh, in college, I worked at a Christian camp. And uh, the kids, the junior kids would come. So these are the young ones. They would come to camp. And, and you know what? They would rarely change their clothes. And they would go swimming in the same clothes. And as a camp counselor, toward the end of the week, we would say, all right, bring out your suitcases. And we would ruffle up all their clothes so that when they got home, the parents thought, oh, they must have used their clothes because they're all dirty now, right? But they didn't. They wore the same thing all week. I don't want you to feel like I'm doing that in the pulpit this morning, that somehow I'm, I'm just making something up. I want you to see what the Word of God says. You understand that? God reveals himself in an orderly fashion in his word. So with all that laid out, let's think first of all about the fact that the biblical pattern for elders is revealed in God's word. And I have a statement under each heading to kind of summarize where we're going. The scriptures teach that what is essential for every church is that it has a plurality of godly men to oversee God's flock as elders, or you can call them under-shepherds. Right? The scriptures teach that what is essential for every local church is that it has a plurality of godly men to oversee God's flock as elders. So first of all, let's talk about an essential priority. What we find when we open God's word, in particular as, as the church has begun in the book of Acts, the apostles go out, they're on their missionary journeys, and they're preaching the gospel and seeing it bear fruit. And what do they do? They begin, they go... They stay at those churches oftentimes, and they will invest in the people. They'll teach them, and their goal is to raise up elders before they leave. And you can find that in Acts 14.23, and of course in, the, in Titus 1.5. Acts 14.23 says when they, did, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. So in other words, this, they've been out doing ministry, and the goal was to have elders established in those churches. Titus chapter 1, verse 5 says this, um, this is why I left you in Crete, Paul says to Titus, so you might put what remained in order. So things were in disarray, and what he says is needed, he says, and appoint elders in every town as I direct you. Now, friends, what's happening here is that elders are seen as essential for the health and well-being of the church. They're the first thing that needs to take place after the gospel is preached, after people have been saved, there needs to be people who are left behind who are able to handle the word of God and care for the flock as God would want them to. It's essential for the church. And here at Gateway, we started the church, what, over now 11 years, September 18th or so. Um, when we started, I was the only elder on staff. 
And we were like, no, nah, that's not good if you're the only elder on staff. And we had a big brother in North Creek Church in Walnut Creek that helped us start. And what we did is we said, well, until we have a, a couple of established elders apart from me, then if we have any issues that need eldership kind of responsibility, we're going to lean on the elders at North Creek Church as our big brother. You understand that? So I wasn't the only kind of person here. There are places or people that we could turn to, congregation can turn to if there was an issue with me, or that we could turn to if there were other things that needed to take place. And over time, we were able to raise up elders, and typically to become an elder is like a two-year process once we've identified you as a prospective elder. Right? So the, the, the history of our church says eldership is a priority, but we're not going to rush into throwing guys into that capacity. We need to make sure that they're qualified. We'll get to that. So it's an essential priority. Secondly, it's an essential position. The words that are used to describe this title of elder is elder, overseer, and shepherd. You probably heard church leaders described in many ways, but the biblical words are elder, overseer, and shepherd, or pastor, that word shepherd means, right? Now, in both texts that we read, in fact, if you go to, to, to Acts chapter 20 with me, um, be helpful for you to see it. The Apostle Paul is calling there in chapter 20, verse 17, he's calling the elders of the church to come to him. And then he talks to them and says, you know, look, you know, I've been faithful to you, I've been faithful to Christ, and I am probably, I'm going away, and you probably won't see me again, but before I leave, I want you to know something. And this is what we find then in Acts 20 and verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Now, that, the expression to care for the church of God is the Greek word that means to shepherd or to pastor. So in this passage, you have elders at the beginning, verse 17, and then you have overseers and you have pastors. They're, they're all describing the same office. You with me so far? If you actually go to 1 Peter now, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, you find the same thing. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Elder, shepherd, oversee. So these three words then are this position and let's just look at them a little bit closer. The word elder comes from the Greek word presbuteros. The idea is someone who is aged, someone who is bearded, they're gray hair. But the emphasis there is that they're, they're wise. They season. They have, some, they have some time and years. They have wisdom to bring. And it emphasizes here this person's position. The word shepherd comes from the Greek word poimen. The idea there is to care for or to pastor, and this emphasizes the role, okay? This is what he does. He shepherds. The word overseer is the word episkopos, means a manager or a superintendent, emphasizes his authority and responsibility. Now, those words, probably you're probably familiar with episkopos. You've probably heard that before because of the Episcopalian church, right? Or presbyteros because of the Presbyterian church, right? But, but the idea here is that you have a person who is one who has wisdom, who has, uh, who has a shepherding heart, and is able to manage and care for and superintend. So the position, the role, and the responsibility of the elders is really encapsulated in 
these three terms. So they're all talking about the same person and somewhat used interchangeably in Scripture. So the essential priority, the essential position, and now the essential plurality. And this is so important, friends. Notice that the word, and even in the passages we looked at, it says elders, appoint elders in every town, elders in every church. Now, this is a really important distinction because it confronts the Lone Ranger mentality. I'm, I'm a pastor, but I am not supposed to be doing this alone. This is not God's intention for, for me to be doing it alone. I mean, just think about Jesus and the disciples. He always sent them out how? In twos. Right? The Apostle Paul and, and Barnabas, they always went out. They always had someone else with them. They were never alone by themselves. Maybe they were at some times, but my point is the pattern we find in Scripture is what? Team ministry. And this is a plurality. This is a group of elders that are working together for the care of the church. Now, what are some of the, the, the benefits or the reason why plurality is a good thing? Well, first of all, it provides accountability. Accountability is important for those elders because, you know what, elders also sin. We struggle with sin. We need each other to keep each other in check. We struggle with, with pride and arrogance and laziness and hardness and control. There are, there are sinful tendencies that come with leadership, and so we need to keep ourselves in check. We had an elder's breakfast yesterday, and I brought up an issue to them. We read a, a, an article about this particular issue, and it was good for us to do that because we want to make sure we're doing things well and that we're, we're not opening ourselves to a door of temptation. All right? We, we want to we hold each other accountable. accountable. So the, the natural checks and balances are there um, with the plur plurality of elders. Secondly, encouragement. Elder ministry is often hard. Long talks, late phone calls, planning meetings, interventions, marriage counseling, visiting families, preparing sermons, teaching opportunities, they all take a toll. But together, the elders can be a source of understanding and encouragement for one another. The sharing of resources. One man isn't supposed to do it all. All may be qualified elders, but each elder also brings other natural talents and spiritual gifts to the table. So most, of course, are gifted in preaching and teaching. Some are gifted at administration. Others are gifted at counseling. But each is to help and assist the eldership, right, the group, with the gifts that God has given them. We need that. And what's beautiful in our context is we have different elders that, that function in that eldership in different ways. We sit around talking about some issue or need in the church, and and different elders will have a different insight, and they bring that to the table, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful. It's not just one person who's kind of saying, this is what we're going to do, where there's a collective, there's a unity there. Finally, counsel. In the book of Proverbs, we have the following words. They're wise words, aren't they? Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Now, of course, you could say, well, you talk to too many people, you're not going to find the truth, but you need to have people who are committed to the Lord, that are gathered together, there's going to be great wisdom that is going to be shared. There's going to be resources that's going to be shared. And elders will have to make difficult decisions at times. And those difficult decisions will be decisions that are made unanimously. And we function with, uh, with, with that. We, we don't vote per se, but we say, are we, are we agreed? This is what we want to do. Yes, we're agreed. All right, then we will move forward 
We, we love and we're thankful for that wonderful counsel that we can bring together. Elders want to honor God and they feel the responsibility on the shoulders. So when they come together, they're able to share their thoughts and find help and counsel and guidance. Friends, plurality is essential. So this is the biblical pattern for elders. Let's jump now, secondly, to the biblical qualifications of elders. Now, I'm not going to go through each one individually and parse it out, but we're going to kind of look big picture here at these qualifications. Notice the statement that you have up on the screen. Men that are chosen by the Holy Spirit will have a burning desire in their hearts to serve the Lord as elders and will be clearly recognized and affirmed by God's church. Now, there's three parts to that statement I want to make sure we understand. First of all, elders are chosen by God, right? We've read this verse a number of times already. Acts 20, 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Don't, don't breeze by that. Being an elder is not to be taken lightly, as if it's simply a role to fill. It's an office, friends, initiated by God himself. God chooses elders to oversee his church and shepherd his flock. If God hasn't chosen you, you have no business being an elder. And if God says to you that you don't qualify or you don't meet the qualifications of being an elder, then you should not pursue it. He's serious about this office because the health and the well-being of his church is at stake. Now, friends, that doesn't set well with our progressive culture that is always trying its best to adjust God's thinking on the matter of many matters. God chooses men to serve as elders, not women. It's not a chauvinistic thing. That is part of God's divine plan. So when churches begin to ordain women as pastors or elders, they're violating God's clear instruction. God chooses godly men as elders, not men who are living a homosexual lifestyle. There's a godliness essential for eldership. God chooses qualified men, not simply men because they are popular or trendy. But our culture disagrees, and so much of the church wants to do theological and interpretive gymnastics with the text of God's word, so that God and his word will conform to society's sinful standards. Friends, that's always been the case. Now, we must respect God's instructions and wisdom on this matter. We must not be held captive by society's progressive morality. What society and much of the church calls pro progress in these matters, God calls rebellion and wickedness. Now, we here at Gateway would rather stand before men and be hated and persecuted than stand before Almighty God and be condemned for our cowardice and our faithlessness. I just, I want you to know that. That's the tone of our elders. It's not like, tone. It's like, this is what we're called to. What, did God, what God says and what God instructs on the matter is what we want to do. It matters for the health and the well-being of the church. Elders are chosen by God. Secondly, elders desire, uh, are desired by the individual. Eldership is desired by the individual, right? 
Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The saying, or this saying is a trustworthy saying, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, what this passage is saying is that the, the man aspires the desires which the Holy Spirit has ignited in his heart. All right? If God is choosing an elder, he, the, the, the individual is going to have this, you want to say, subjective sense that this is what's happening we don't just function on the subjective, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but this is like, I, I'm really sensing this is what God is calling me to. So there is this subjective dynamic to God's call in the life of a man for ministry. It's not a whim or a fancy. It's not an opportunity to gain authority or popularity or stature. It is a passion to serve God and his people by joining other men in shouldering the burden and responsibility of God's flock. If God is not moving you to desire and aspire to the office of elder, please don't do it. Don't force the square peg of your life into the round hole of biblical eldership. It will only bring you and the church heartache. On the other hand, if God is moving your heart with a burden for the care and the oversight of God's church, take time to test it, take time to nurture it, talk to one of the elders here in the church, and we will see if that is really something that God is doing in your life. It's not something that happens like one day, I just feel like God wants me to be an elder, and then you know, two weeks later, you're an elder in a church. It doesn't work that way. I mean, God started to work in my heart when I was 17. I wasn't a youth pastor until I was 23, and I was no way... It prepared to be an elder in the church at that point in time. I needed time and season and, and, and function within the church in that, I must say, youth pastoral capacity. It takes time. But it's, they're chosen by God. Eldership is desired by the individual. But thirdly, eldership is recognized and affirmed by the church. And friends, this is really important. Why? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us lists of qualifications. An elder, uh, these qualifications are found really in two places. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. These lists are both for the individual who's going to do a self-evaluation to find out whether they're qualified or not. It's also there for the church to use as this guide uh, to see whether they qualify or not. And both lists are similar in giving a variety of qualifications. They give you a he, a he must be or he must not be. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, I'm not sure if it's going to be up there on the screen or not. Um, if, if it's not, that's okay. Um, but 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, I would encourage you to look in your Bibles too. This is what the Apostle Paul says. This saying is, a trust, is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, that's an elder, that's, a, that's a, a shepherd also, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for, for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought 
of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Now, the key expression here is right at the beginning. He's a, he must be above reproach. And the idea of being above reproach means that he is without suspicion. All right? It doesn't mean that he's without sin. Only Jesus can fulfill that one. But it does mean that he is living in such a way that he would not give cause for others to think badly of the church, of the gospel, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these qualifications then, these, these, this above reproach, fleshes out really into five areas. His personal life, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, and so on. His home life, manages his own household well, with all dignity. His church life, able to teach, hospitable, holding firm the trustworthy word. His calling, desiring a noble task, not a recent convert, and his public reputation. Okay. These are all criteria that are necessary then for the church to assess and to recognize and affirm whether or not this person is actually called by God to be an elder. Now, see, what I want to emphasize here is, is, is there's a three-pronged approach here to recognize whether someone is called or not. God chooses the individual desires, but the church is the one that recognizes and affirms whether that person is called by God. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, let no one despise you, despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So elders are men chosen by the Holy Spirit with a burning desire to shepherd the flock and are recognized and affirmed by God's local church. Let's continue on here. Third thing, uh, we've seen the pattern, we've seen the qualifications, now the responsibility of the elders. Elders are responsible to serve God's church, diligent and selfless shepherding. And this motif of shepherding is helpful here to flesh out what elders were called to do. And there's five things that I want to list here, and we'll see how much time we have um, to, to do that. But first of all, they're called to feed the sheep. A few verses to consider. 1 Timothy 3, 2, listen to qualifications. Elders uniquely are called to, to be able to teach. This is one of the things that sets them off from a deacon. Their role and function is primarily word ministry. Not only, but it's the, the priority of it is making sure that the word ministry in the context of the church is taking place and that it is healthy. But being able to teach is a requirement uh, for this. So feeding the sheep. 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who rule well are to be considered wor of wor worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So there are going to be some elders, not all, uh, who labor at the work of preaching and teaching as a regular thing. Titus 1.9, hold firm the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So we're given their two purposes. Know the Bible and teach it, recognize false doctrine, and refute it. So the elders need to have the ability to do those two things. Friends, this is no small responsibility, is it? It's like, well, who wants to be an elder in the church? I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. Really? You really, you really want to do that? You really want to take the weight of that responsibility on your shoulder? Can you do this? 
And that's why the Apostle Paul, as he's talking about his ministry of preaching in the book of Colossians chapter 1, he finishes up the section talking about his desire and his preaching. And he says in verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all energy that he powerfully works within me. The idea of toil here is beating to the point of exhaustion. The idea of struggling is, is this word agonizomai, and it has the picture of a wrestler who's in a hole trying to fight his way out of it. This is what elders do. This is what they are called to. Friends, like I said, this is the elder's primary responsibility. To faithfully preach and teach the whole counsel of God so that the sheep can be fed on Jesus, the bread of life. And in that preaching, the shepherd is to call the sheep to action, to repentance of their sinful thoughts, their actions, their beliefs, and their behaviors, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is no small thing, but it is what they're called to. Secondly, not only feeding the sheep, but protecting the sheep. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul instructs the the shepherds to pay careful attention to all the flock. In other words, guarding the flock. And in Acts 20, 31, Paul says, be alert. Well, why? Because just a few verses earlier, he says, wolves are coming. (laughs) There are wolves out there. And part of the responsibility of a shepherd is to see the wolves for what they are. Shepherds care for their sheep, and so they seek to protect them from false teachers and false teaching, from schemes of the devil, from the sin that is in their own heart, from the enticements of the world. So as elders, we have to have our antennas up, so to speak, to be able to to know what's blowing in through Christian culture, you know, what books people are reading, what kind of seminars are taking place, what kind of influences are there that might hinder people's growth or, or create... Or, or just really be false teaching that we would have to deal with. That's why an elder might call you up and send you a text or email you just wondering how you're doing or how come you weren't at church this past Sunday. That elder is not angry with you. That elder cares about you. And Jesus gave us the classic illustration, didn't he? Illustration of a shepherd that's willing to leave the 99 in order to save that one lost sheep. And Jesus also gave the church instructions on how the church and the elders are to respond to a brother or a sister who is caught in sin. They're to go to them. They're to confront them, show them themselves. And the goal is always restoration. But friends, it's not fun. Don't get up in the morning and say, woohoo, I get to do church discipline today. Yay, you know. No but it's necessary. Why? Because parents love their children. Elders love their flock. They care. And they protect. Third, leading the sheep. Jesus led by example, praying, serving, teaching, weeping, caring, and on. Likewise, elders are to be examples to the flock in their character, in other words, their humility, their prayer, their teaching, their love, their giving, and their confidence, trusting God through trials, in their Christ-like pursuit. Maturity comes 
by walking to please the Lord. You realize that elders have not arrived? They're still journeying, right? A faithful elder and a true shepherd will always be looking to make progress in his growth toward Christlikeness. He will lead others to follow his example. So leading the sheep. Fourth, managing the sheep. And here we have 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. In that passage, the Apostle Peter exhorts the elders in the church to shepherd the flock of God by exercising oversight. And he gives some specific instructions to them, right? How are they to do that? Well, notice what it says. They are to, to do this not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So as they assess the, the struggles and the needs of the flock, as they move them toward growth in Christ, as they seek to ask hard questions about what's going on in their life and their hearts, as they seek to organize any uh, help or guidance that these, uh, these sheep might need, they're doing it willingly, eagerly, and by being examples. Friends, we need this. This is a gift to the church. Next one, healing the sheep. This one is often uh, overlooked. It's forgotten. James 5.14, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I don't want to get into the theological things about anointing the oil. I tend to lean toward it's, it's medicinal. It's not simply symbolic. The point is, the elders are going, they're praying over, they're visiting with that person. When's the last time you got sick and you called the elders and said, I need you to pray over me? That's something that, in fact, we just don't tell people. Did you tell people you got COVID? No, you're like, I got, I got COVID. Shh, don't tell anyone. Tell anyone I got COVID. Don't put it on Facebook or anything like that. I don't want people to know. Here, when they got sick, what did they do? They called the elders. I'm not talking about, you know, someone got the flu or whatever, but there's a time when you're like, you know, I just found out I got cancer. Call the elders. My marriage is getting shaky. Call the elders. There's a crisis in your home. Call the elders. Right? You got that diagnosis, call the elders. You lost the job, call the elders. You're struggling in your walk, call the elders. When your elderly spouse drives off from a lunch and hasn't been seen for hours, call the elders. That happened a few years ago. Not only the elders, but the church just rose up to action. Why? Because we care. Elders can offer a helping hand through prayer, the ministry of the word, pointing to Christ, biblical wisdom and counsel. They can weep with you. They can sit with you. They can pray with you. They can, they can search with you. They can sing with you. They can grieve with you. Friends, elders are a gift to the church. The question now is, how will you respond to all this? So let's consider the biblical response to elders. And I want to say simply in kind of a small way here, the church 
congregation honors God by welcoming their elders to serve them as shepherds. Do you want elders in your life? Well, if you joined the church, you said you did, by the way. <laughs> the question is, why wouldn't you? Maybe because you're walking in sin. Maybe because you don't want your life exposed. With the time we have left, and I'm just going to be brief here because I know our time is fleeting. I should say gone, probably a better word. I want to give you, I think I have eight of them or something like that, practical things you can do. Number one, get to know your elders. <laughs> do you know them? Do you know their names? Have you invited them over to your home for a meal or some dessert or some coffee or some tea? Have you made it a point to find out about their lives and their family and their testimony and their struggles? Friends, get to know your elders. You'll find them very approachable. They won't bite unless you put cheesecake or something like that out, and they'll, they'll bite a lot. They are your partners in ministry. They, they're not elites. They're functioning a role that God established for the church to partner with you in. Get to know them. Secondly, encourage your elders. Now that you have a better understanding of the huge responsibility on the shoulders of your elders, take time to encourage them. Send them a card, an email, or, or even a text to let them know how much you appreciate all they do, not just up front, but behind the scenes. You, you don't see all the stuff that the elders do in meetings and talking and prayer for you. You don't, but they do. And when they open the Word of God and have spent the better part of 30 hours in preparation for their sermon, be sure to thank them for their spiritual toil and sweat on your behalf. Let them know how God has used their word ministry to help your soul. I know what my fellow elders do in order to prepare sermons while I'm not here or they're filling the pulpit in my behalf. It's hard work, but they do it with joy because they love Christ and they love his church and they love you. And maybe encourage them as they stand to defend God's word and protect the flock. Be sure to let them know how much you appreciate their faithfulness. Not all churches are blessed with true biblical elders. Third, Pray for your elders. Your elders are always on call. And three of them have non-gateway, full-time jobs or responsibilities. They carry heavy burdens, are working with people's souls, and desperately need your prayer. So please do pray. Pray for biblical insight and wisdom as they teach and preach. Pray for protection from the enemy and from the influences of the world. Pray for physical health and strength. Pray for their marriages, for their families, for their, their endurance, for the balance of life and ministry, for the, the fact that they, they need to take vacations or days off. Pray that those things can all be true. Pray for your elders. Fourth, call on your elders. When you have a need, <laughs> call on them. Uh, one of the things that's frustrating sometimes as an elder is you find out, you know, three weeks later that the person was going through a difficult time. And they might have been sitting back saying, well, I wish the elders would come. I wish they would call. Well, we don't know because 
you haven't reached out. Yes, we can call, but the thing is, you're going through something. Give us a shout. Give us a text. Let us know what's going on, and we can do what we can to come alongside you, whatever is necessary at that point in time, but call on your elders. Next, listen to your elders, and I primarily am addressing here the ministry of the word. If someone is standing up behind this pulpit, we are training them not to say what they think, but what God thinks. And when they proclaim God's truth, listen to what God is saying through them. Be Bereans, go home and study it for yourself. But know that as you're part of this church, you're placing yourself under the leadership and the word ministry of the elders. And so listen to them. Consider what it is that they're appealing to your heart to do or to change. Listen to them. Next one, submit to your elders. You're like, uh uh-oh. I was tracking with you, Pastor Rod, but that word submit, that's just not allowed in our culture anymore, right? Well, it's just kind of weird because if someone says it's not allowed in our culture anymore, then they're actually submitting to not allowing it in the culture and the kind of, anyway, you get what I'm saying, right? But look, elders have to make decisions. Sometimes they're big decisions. Sometimes they're decisions that you would disagree with or maybe that you didn't want or maybe you wanted something different. But submit to them because they're, they're not like saying, well, we've got to have this, we've got to have... No, they're saying, let's look at all the things that are there and let's make a wise decision based on the information that we have. Don't allow it to be something that causes heartache in the church. Sometimes they will move the church in a direction that is different than your vision. But be, please remember that they're seeking to be faithful overseers of God's church. So submit to them. The last one here is this, <laughs> worship with your elders. I want you to notice something about us elders. There was no one sitting up on the platform today. I wasn't sitting in this chair. You, this chair here, you know what this chair is for? It's for the pastor to sit in, the pastor. No, as elders, we join you as a congregation, in our worship of God. We are no better, no greater. We serve and we function in the role of leaders in the church. We take that, respons- that responsibility seriously. But when it comes time to gathering for worship, we are together, united as one body, singing praises to the Lord. We don't want to, we're not here for show. We're here for God's glory. We're here to point him out, point people to him. Friends, elders serve as under-shepherds for the church to point them to the chief shepherd, that is Jesus Christ. It's the passion of an elder, drawing people's attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to, just in closing here, go back to that wonderful verse, Acts 20, 28. We've read it a number of times. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church of God, get this, which he obtained with his own blood. We can read that and just breeze by it, right? Oh, what a a responsibility. (laughs) Jesus gave himself shed his blood for his church. And he's saying, I I want you and you and you and you, I want you to be elders and to care for my church. 
this church that I shed my blood for. Let, let that settle in. It's only because of the blood of Christ that God's church exists. He died to bring us into his fold. He died to make us living stones as part of his temple. He died to welcome us into his family as sons and daughters. He died that we would be actively at work as members of his body, of which he is the head. This is the church obtained with his blood. Let that settle in. Let it wipe away the fears and anxieties that you bring this morning. Let it seep into your sinful struggles. Let it remind you of your full and complete forgiveness. Let it give you freedom. Rejoice, uh, the ability to rejoice and praise and to live for him. He shed his blood for you. And elders want to point you back to him because of what he has done. And this morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. You're with us as guests. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he has rescued you through what he's accomplished on the cross. We invite you to join with us. If you're not a child of God, we respectfully ask that you stay in your seats and you observe the church celebrating this wonderful ordinance called the Lord's Supper. Let's pray, and then we will take the Lord's Supper together. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the diversity that is your church. And Lord, thank you for this gift that you've given to the church, Lord, this gift of eldership. And Lord, may we important, Lord, not just simply another form of, of leadership that's out there, but Lord, what you have called the church to do, Lord, to have a plurality of elders that are caring for your flock. Lord, help us as a church then to, to, to see the importance of working together and partnering together for your glory. And Lord, we, we love you. We love your gospel. We love, Lord, your church. And Lord, help us now to, to love even the, the roles and functions that you give us within the church and seek to, to, to live them out, to flesh them out in a way that would please you. Now, Lord, as we come to your table today, May we be reminded, Lord, of what you did for us on the cross. Lord, you shed your blood for the church. May we not ever get over that, Lord. And we are your children. We are recipients, Lord, of the implications of that. We're saved. We're sanctified. We're justified, Lord. We give you all the praise and glory. In your name, amen.